0: morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good. You're not affected by this weather, are you? Good. I think we got a little spoiled by having a couple of days that were like 30 degrees. Um, and then and then we were shocked when we had a nice storm. And, and now every morning we wake up, we're not quite sure. We don't know. All right. Is it shorts? Is it my snowsuit? I don't know. I don't know. I'll open the door and I will, you know, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, this is the fun time of the year where everything starts coming alive again, and, and uh, it, it's beautiful, isn't it? I, for me, I love springtime because everything that looked dead comes back to life. And it reminds me of my journey with Jesus each and every day. And so I've got a beautiful picture ahead of me, and, and and some days are beautiful and sunny, and other days are a little bit rainy. But here's the truth of the matter is that Jesus was is with us in each and every day. Come on. And for that, I am thankful. I am just so grateful grateful that we have the opportunity to assemble together in his name. And uh, I'm excited because this morning I'm going to be delivering a message that I've entitled Counting the Cost. And, uh, you know, this is, this is something that I, I, I've been on a track with now for a while. I've really been kind of studying out discipleship. And we have essentials going on on Wednesdays, which is really a beautiful discipleship course for new believers or maybe those that have been part of the faith for a little while but really want to build their foundation. And discipleship's important. Uh, I would say it's essential. It's crucial. It's, it's, it's exactly what Jesus uh, kind of left behind for us to follow in this pattern. And so I want to talk to you today about the idea of discipleship. And can I give you my main point right away up front? Can I do that just in case uh, I run out of time? I don't want to leave you hanging, okay? Here's, here's the idea of today's message. Really, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost us everything. Okay? And I want to just explore this idea a little bit. What does that really mean to us to be a disciple? What does it mean to disciple others? And so we're going to start off in Luke, but before we go, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, I just want to rejoice in the fact that you've made this day. And Lord, today we can have a decision. We, we can choose to rejoice and be glad in it. And I just want to speak for all of us today, Lord. In this house, we're making a decision. We rejoice And we are glad because we understand that you are Lord, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. And we invite you to teach us, to lead us, to guide us as we examine your word. And Lord, may we just be brave this morning to make the changes necessary to draw closer to Jesus each and every day. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that it is truth and it is the truth that will make us free in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Amen and amen. Well, listen, if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up to Luke chapter 9. For those that don't have Bibles on you, it's okay. It'll be above my screen, uh, my head here on the screen, above my screen. It's not my screen. It's our screen. Um, But above my head on this screen behind me. And we're going to read this short little passage and we're going to kind of dig into it for about the next few minutes, okay? Okay. It says here, then he said to them all, Jesus. Now, before we even get going, uh, guys in the back, just leave that up there for a minute. Before we get going, I need you to understand, if you look at at, at Luke 9, Luke 9 is an exciting chapter in the Bible. It's got everything. It's got a little bit of everything. If you just go through it real quick, he sends out the 12 to go and minister, and they're seeing all sorts of, of miracles transpiring all around them, right? And then all of a sudden, Herod seeks to see Jesus. And so there's a scheme going on behind the scenes, right? And then what happens? Also, there's the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that awesome miracle with just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish? Jesus is able to feed the 5,000 plus. I mean, come on, this is amazing. And then it comes down where Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection. And here's what I noticed about Jesus, that every time he predicts his own death and resurrection to his disciples, something great happens. Right after that, he leaves us with a little bit of information that is going to help us as he departs, okay? And then we come to this where all of a sudden, he starts talking about taking up the cross and following him. So he said to them all, now listen. I I could use my imagination here. I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I like to assume that he's saying this right on the heels of feeding the 5,000. Because the 5,000 weren't going anywhere. They'd been fed. Jesus was in the area. They're staying close because they want to hear more from Jesus. They want to see more miracles. Maybe they're in need of a miracle themselves. And so he begins to speak to them all, right? And I like that because all is all, all, right? All is not some. All is not just a select few. It's all. So he's speaking to all of them, all right? And he says this, If anyone desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will indeed save it. Amen? And so what we see here is that Jesus says this is not just for the disciples, This is not just for a couple people. This is for all of us. Somebody say, this is for me. Now, this is the fun part. Look to a neighbor and say, hey, this is for you. Yeah, you guys like saying this is for you a lot more than you like saying this is for me, right? But I hope that we cover all bases by including you and your neighbor, okay? So it's for everyone, okay? So these words are for you and they're for me. We can't escape them or seek some refuge in in semantics. Well, maybe he was just speaking to his disciples, right? No. If he was speaking to his disciples, he would have spoke to the disciples, but he spoke to all, and we're part of the all today. So salvation is free, but discipleship will cost us everything. Now, would you notice that there's a call to faith, and that call to faith is open to everyone, but there are conditions in following Jesus. Look at this. He says, if anyone. If, right? Some of the most profound truths oftentimes begin with such small words. Think about that. If anyone. It's building suspense. A little bit of mystery happening here. Grammatically speaking, if introduces a conditional clause meaning there are conditions or circumstances upon which certain consequences follow. You're following me, right? I'm giving you a brief English lesson, and I'm probably the least qualified person to be teaching you about English. As in high school, I got a 53. But come on, Jesus saves, and he redeems, and he restores, okay? So there's hope for all of us. I had to look this up on my best friend Google. So if is one of the first words, listen to this, that children begin to associate with logical thinking and conditional results, right? Parents reinforce this from a young age. We're right in the middle of this. Son, if you eat your broccoli, you might be able to enjoy some ice cream. While very quickly, in their minds, the if is associated with an action and a consequence, or in this case, a reward. Consequences don't always have to be bad, just a result of something happening, okay? So if you eat your broccoli, son, you can eat some ice cream. What happens? The broccoli disappears very fast so that the ice cream may be enjoyed. You're following me, right? So the, so the broccoli is gone, the ice cream is enjoyed. But here's what I'm beginning to learn. As one grows into adulthood, the ifs come fast and they come furiously, right all of a sudden your entire life is just a whole bunch of ifs stacked up one behind the other okay so we figure this out right we have a responsibility to do something when we see an if if you finish your homework you can go out and play anybody ever hear that one right that was my entire life if you finish your homework you can go out and play well what did i do i raced through my homework often resulting in low marks, because I was more concerned with playing than I was with my education. I wish I could go back about 35 years and explain to myself, listen, all these friends that you're playing with, you'll never see them again in your life. Ball hockey is not going to lead to any sort of success in your life. Jumping your BMX off the biggest ramp you can find is only going to lead to hurt bodies and broken bones and scars. But education will help you. Young people, listen up. Pastor Brian knows. Speaking from experience. Don't make the same mistakes I've made. If you complete your chores, you can use the car this weekend. Anybody have that one? That was my favorite. If you complete your chores, Brian, you can drive the 1995 Dodge Caravan in the ugliest green you can find. Let's be real. There is no way to make a Dodge Caravan cool. The only reason I was popular was because I could fit six other friends in it. That's the only edge I had up on anybody. I tried my best to make it cool, just did not happen. If you take your medicine, then your symptoms will be relieved. If you go to work, then you will receive a paycheck. Come on. If, if, if. And so we begin to realize that life is full of a bunch of ifs. And so this word, if, reminds us of our responsibility to respond and to not be passive. You're with me here? Okay. So here's just a few examples from Jesus himself. And I thought that Pastor Adam was going to steal my whole message. But if anyone has ears to hear, the Bible says what? Let him hear. John 7 says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Maybe you're thirsty this morning. The condition is that if you come to him, you can have a drink. John 8 says, if you continue in my words, then you are truly disciples of mine. And one of my favorites, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if means we have a choice in whether or not we will make our discipleship matter. And I don't know if you're at a place in your life, but I want discipleship to matter in my life. Each and every day that I'm on this earth, I want to resemble Jesus more and more. I want to be like him in the way that I address others, that I conduct myself with others. I I want to act like him. I want to talk like him. I want to see miracles like him. I want to have what he had while he walked on this earth, and I want what he has for me each and every day. So we have a choice. So let's look as some of these conditions upon which we'll count the cost of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Number one, everybody say number one. We're going to have four, four little things we're going to talk about from this part of Scripture that's really going to clarify and bring clarity to our minds when it comes to discipleship. And the first one is desire. It says here, if anyone would come after me, And so I realized right away, Jesus goes straight for the heart. And here's what I learned about it, is that the heart of the matter is a matter of the hearts. And Jesus is always searching, and he's always poking, and he's always prodding. And and more than doing right, Jesus is concerned that our hearts are right. And he understands the only way that our hearts can get right is if they are turned to him. There are scriptures that support the idea that above all, the heart is evil. Right? You ever hear this saying out there? Just follow your hearts. Whoa, I don't want to follow my heart. I've done that before, and it leads me into troubles. Come on. It leads me into a mess. The Bible is very clear. Your trouble, your heart will lead you to trouble, and it will lead you astray, unless it's turned towards God. And so we see that there's a desire that needs to take place in our lives if we're going to become a disciple the phrase desire to come is this idea of intentionality and involves an act of the will there's something that needs to transpire inside of us before we even get going in other words uh in order to walk with jesus you must first want to walk with jesus you've got to want it you've got to desire it you've got to have intention about it right it's 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 one thing like hey here listen this is my struggle can i be real with you this morning my struggle is, is that I like food. I like cooking, and I like trying new foods, and, 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 I, and, and I love food. But the struggle is, is that the more food I eat, the tighter my shirts and pants become. It's weird. I don't know why. It just happens naturally. And so the struggle is, is that I, I, I want to stay at a healthy pace. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 going on 41, right? and I realize that the body just doesn't respond as good as it did when I was 20, right? Like, when my son says, Dada, and he wants me to come on the ground with him, I have to count the cost of that action. Will Dada be able to get back up? (laughs) When Dada sits on his bottom on the floor like you do for an hour, Daddy's bum bum hurts. Daddy's back aches. He's got to go visit his friend at the chiropractor, you know? i got to count the cost. And so we see here that there's really this, this issue of we have to desire. There's a wanting that needs to take place. The same scripture that we read, if you desire, the New American Standard puts it this way, if anyone wishes, right? The New Living Translation says, if any of you wants to be my follower. And so it starts with a desire, and so I'm, rec- I'm recognizing, it's, 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 there's this turmoil happening inside me that, that I, I can't just just think healthy thoughts and then I'll become healthy. I begin to realize that if I begin to work out, if I begin to stretch, if I begin to do things that will activate my muscles and my body in the right way, then I can eat and not have to worry about my pants getting tighter right? There's this condition upon my actions. And so we're in this place now where all of a sudden we're recognizing the first step to discipleship is desire. Do you actually want to be a disciple of Jesus? Is there a desire there to follow him? Is there a desire to walk after him? Is there a desire to walk in his ways? Because here's what I've learned. People are going to do what people want to do. If you have a toddler, you understand that this is completely true. No amount of begging works. No amount of bargaining works. Nothing works when a toddler's mind is made up. I admire it. Their no is no, and their yes is yes. I kind of wish I was more like that, right? And so we see that there's this condition of if. And so we see right here that there was no secret teaching for a select few. When Jesus is telling us, listen, you've got to desire to be a disciple first, what's happening is he's not just speaking to a select few. The call of Jesus goes out to everyone. And I see three distinct groups as he's chatting to everyone right here. I see the curious crowd, those nearby Those that are just kind of hanging out on the outskirts. So we have those who are curious. Then I see that there's the committed. There's the committed core. And and, and that includes the 11 disciples. Apostles. You're like, well, wait a second, there was 12. Yes, but the last one wasn't quite committed, was he? That's the third group. So we have those who are curious. We have those who are committed. And then we have some that might have a counterfeit faith who maybe are just in it for what they can get out of it rather than actually becoming a disciple and giving up of their will to Jesus and following his footsteps. And so a common misconception in discipleship is this, is that discipleship is only for the hardcore, super committed. And the rest of us get a pass. That's not really what I see here. What I see is one call to all people. If you desire, follow me. If you desire, this morning where's your desire at? Where's your heart at? Are you going full in, full on for Jesus? Or do you find yourself in the group of maybe the curious, I'm wondering how I'm figuring this thing out, or or maybe you recognize, like I had to recognize in in my early 20s that I, I was living in this kind of counterfeit faith, and I had to make some drastic changes in my life. And so you notice the phrase that says, come after me. It has an idea of movement, And here's what the movement looks like. It's lining up behind the Lord wherever he goes first. And can I tell you sometimes what I'm guilty of? I like to run ahead of him and then ask him to catch up to me. But that's not what I see here. What I see here is a strict command. Follow me. Follow me. Following someone has the idea of being behind them. Not overstepping your boundaries, not trying to become the captain, not trying to become the leader, but following the instructions, following the footsteps, following the model that was left behind for us to live on this earth. So you can't live on your own terms and then ask God to bless you. You ever tried that? How did it work for you? Did not work great for me, right? You can't do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it and then be like, oh, toss up a Hail Mary. Oh, Lord, you know, here we go, right? Can you bless this somehow? Here I am again, Lord. I'm in the middle of a mess, right? But can you bless it somehow, right? Here's what the Bible says. That's not the way it works. The Bible says if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, then all of these things will be added to us. And so you see that there's a clear-cut way of following Jesus and becoming his disciple. Do you want to follow him today? Why? Why? People will do what they want to do. Do you want to follow Jesus today? That's the question that's being posed by him to all who hear. Number two, if you're taking notes, right? So the first condition of discipleship is this. It's to settle your desire, right? And maybe you've just got to turn your hearts back to him and say, Lord, maybe I've lost that passion. Maybe I've lost that fire. Maybe circumstances and conditions have have primed me to, to take a step back rather than take a step forward, So that's the first one. We have to settle our desire. But the second one, look at this. This is the one I really don't like, and I don't even want to share it with you. Because I don't like it. Because it, it hurts. It's what? It's denial. What? Denial. Yeah, look at what it says here. Let him deny himself. Right? The phrase let him puts the responsibility on each one of us. So this must be intentional because guess what? Denying yourself, it's not automatic. It doesn't come easy. It actually comes with a lot of sacrifice. It actually comes with a, with, a, with a lot of fighting within. Learning how to set aside your plans and your will and your ways and actually submitting yourself to God's ways and to His plan and to, to His will. Right? So the phrase, let him, puts that responsibility on each and every one of us. Listen, to deny implies a firm refusal. When I was young, I figured a system out. I began to understand my parents' body language and the way that they would speak to me. So I would say, hey, can I go to my friend's house this Friday? And, And the way that they would respond would suggest to me that I've got wiggle room for negotiation. But every once in a while, my dad would look at me, and if you don't know my dad, he's, he's, a, he's been a bricklayer his whole life. He's good. He's robust. He's strong. He's got the, the most awesome, coolest mustache I've ever seen on anyone. And he loves me, but he scares me. <laughs> I don't have any reason to be scared of him. He's just got that posture, right? And every once in a while, my dad would say no. And I understood right away the way that he said no, that it was a firm refusal. For years, my dad had this awesome big truck. I said, Dad, can I drive the truck? No. And it was the way that he said it, there was just no buts. I, there was no negotiating. There was no amount of chores that I could do to touch his truck, right? And, 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 I, and, and eventually, I, 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 I did get to, to drive the truck, but it was under a circumstance where he wasn't physically able to drive it, and I had to drive him to the hospital. And while we're in the middle of traffic on a Friday in downtown with this massive truck that used to be stick shift, by the way, I'm learning how to drive stick shift on Friday in rush hour with a big truck. I look over at my dad and go, you should have said yes once. This would have been a lot easier. And then he looked at me and I understood firm refusal. Stop. Stop there, Brian, because I think you're going to end up in the hospital. <laughs> right? Firm refusal. The idea of this firm refusal, a no. Well, what are we saying no to? Right? This is the same word which describes Peter denying Jesus. You remember the story of, of Peter denying Jesus? It was like a firm refusal. Hey, beer, Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, this is the guy that, that I saw with Jesus. Nope! Wasn't me! Nope! Wrong guy. uh uh-uh, uh Double down every time someone accused him, right? He doubled down even harder. Sank his heels into the ground. Nope, I did not know him. This is the kind of refusal that Jesus is talking about. One Bible dictionary defines it this way. To disown or to renounce self and to subjugate which is to bring under dominion listen to this, all works interests and enjoyments. Wow, that's pretty crazy. What else does he say here? Essentially self-denial is turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. We live in a generation that is all about me. All about me. It's all about me. I don't care about you. It's all about me. I will climb over you to get to where I want to be. I will lie my way to the top. I will cheat my way to the top. I will do whatever I need to do. You see this. And really it's being perpetuated in a young generation with this idea that this word that I love and I hate all at the same time. And it's a word that is influencer. Well, who are you influencing and which way are you influencing people? Because I just see it as a, as, as a living advertisement. Right? You're you're not actually an influencer. You're not actually influencing people. What you're looking for is you're trading the likes on your posts for a certain amount of money to to, to advertise for somebody else. And we still get this false mentality. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Every commercial out there plays on your insecurities. You ever notice that? Hey, you. I I don't know. If I wrote wrote commercials, it'd sound like this. Hey, you. (laughs) You want to look good, smell good, feel good? Use our deodorants. Ton, right? Because essentially, that's what they're doing. They're just packaging it up a lot nicer. If you don't have this, you won't get the girl. If you don't get that, you won't have success. If you don't use our product, then guess what? You're left behind and you're not with the cool kids. It never changes. It starts in grade school. It goes into high school, gets worse, college, university, into the workplace, and guess what? All the way through our life, there's this fear of missing out. There's this, this fear of, of, of not having enough. There's this fear of, of not being part of the cool club. And Jesus comes with a completely different thought frame. It's not about you. What a shallow life if all you're ever doing is just living for yourself all the time. What a shallow life. Get all the way up to the top and then what? You find out you've been climbing the wrong ladder your whole life. Right? You find out that it's a lot lonely up there because to get up there you had to burn every bridge that was ever in your life. For what? What good is it? What good is it? Right? If you get to a level of success but your family won't speak to you anymore your children want nothing to do with you come on what good is it now praise god if if you find yourself in a circumstance or situation like that there's an opportunity to change there's an opportunity for redemption and restoration i've seen it in my own life come on we all come with a past when we come to jesus And it's about trusting in him and allowing ourselves to grow into this place where we begin to realize it ain't about me at all. Come on. Look at the way that Jesus lived on earth, the the, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the savior of all humanity before he was crucified for you and I. What does he do? He gets down on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet. It's about serving. Even Jesus understood that. And so we got to get to a place where we understand what denying ourselves literally is. Jesus said in Luke 14, he says, listen to this. You want to hear this bluntly? It says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I don't think it gets any more clear than that. So are we asking you to go and sell your house and your car and everything you own? No. <laughs> you know, Come on. We need a place to live. We need a, but, but, but there's this, this idea of we need to learn how to fight the selfishness. Can we retool our time a little bit so that we can serve Jesus a little bit better? Do I need to binge watch every show that comes out on Netflix? Right? Do I, do, do, do I need to spend so much? I'm talking to myself right now. I'm just going to convict myself right now through the word. Do I need to spend so much time on this th- device right here? Life was so much simpler before these things. You knew where your friends were by, by finding out where the bikes were. <laughs> Come on. Those were the days. The fun was searching around the neighborhood. Where are they? Right? Now I can literally just look your name up and say, oh, locations, there they are. They're right there. This is crazy. This is a great tool if it's used properly. But can I just be honest with you? It's a massive time waster as well. You start scrolling, I get into that scrolling mode. Man, I am talking, I am just confessing my sins this morning. You get scrolling and next thing you know, it's like an hour and a half later. You're like, what am I doing with my life? I, 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 I sometimes think I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm getting smarter. And then I realize I, that's the opposite is happening. <laughs> I'm getting dulled down here, Right? What can I do? What, what, how, in which way can I learn how to deny myself? God's grace, listen to this, can free us from the grip of ungodliness. Titus 2 says this. I love this scripture. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, look at this, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, with the right mind, right? Righteously, right standing with God, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So in other words, we simply cannot just think that we can live the Christian life by following our hearts, because we learned earlier our hearts will lead us astray. Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial, by the way. Like, you know, deny yourself eating chocolate or, you know, going on a Facebook fast. These are all good things to do. But I think he's talking about something a little bit deeper down to the core. To deny self is turning from sin and selfishness and turning to the Savior. That's what it really comes down to. Having said that, it may involve saying no to some practices or habits or even relationships. That's what it's all about. Discipleship will cost us everything. In other words, we can renounce self-exaltation and live to exalt God. This is what it's about. Stop trying to put yourself on the pedestal and begin to lift the name of Jesus up in your life and watch what begins to happen. We renounce the self-will and live to do God's will, right? How many people know we all have plans? We all have ideas of what's going to happen in our lives, right? And it's okay to plan and it's all good, but don't forget to include God. You know, when you're talking about the plan of your life, when you're talking about your next big moves, don't make big decisions without consulting the Lord. Lord, what, what, what is our next step here? What, Lord, where do you want me? Lord, what do you want me doing? Right? When you come to church, don't just come to church on a Sunday, but say, Lord, where, where can I participate? Lord, where can I add to rather than just taking? What, what can I do to help move this thing forward? We renounce self-seeking and live instead to seek God and his kingdom. Right? This is really crucial. So in short, right, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, you remember this scripture? This one always kind of haunts me a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? What? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So I must give up the right to run my own life because I no longer own my life. I've given it to Jesus. I've been bought at the precious price of his blood, and I now belong to him. John Calvin said it this way. Uh, He called self-denial the sum of the Christian life. Wow. The sum of the Christian life is self-denial. So we must confess Christ and deny self. Or you know what happens. We'll begin to confess self and begin to deny Christ. So you'll either live for yourself or you will live for your Savior. Number three, you're with me? What are we saying today? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Look, number three, look at this. It's death. And to take up his cross daily. So the word and uh, could be translated, what could it be translated? As also. So he's giving us some conditions. And then by the way, there's one more here indicating that what comes next is just a continuation from that conditional clause before it came. So if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. So after making sure that we desire to be a disciple, and after we make sure that we learn how to deny ourselves, that next step is to take up our cross daily. And this is what I want to get to today. To take up means this. It means to pick up. It literally means to bend down, to lay hold of, and to pick up. And so what we begin to see here uh, is that there's an indication Essentially that you are to lift from the ground the cross that God has intended for you to carry. So the intention is a command to do it and to do it now with no delay. To command to take up shows. Look at this. Crosses are not forced on our backs because they don't come against our will. This is an amazing revelation that I had to really kind of chew on. Because I used to say this, well, when bad things would happen, or if I got around people I really didn't like, um, you know, we all have that one cousin. Does everybody have that one cousin? There's always a cousin. They're funny, but not in the ha-ha way, you know what I'm saying? They're just, they're, they're funny, and they always make things awkward, and maybe they make your life difficult, and I've heard people say this, well, that's just the cross that I bear. It's just the cross I bear, Right? And, and this is not essentially what Jesus is beginning to talk about here. He's talking about something a little bit deeper. The cross is something that we have to lift. It's a choice that we choose to bend down and to pick up and to bear for Christ's sake. To take up is a conscious decision to be a cross bearer. Note that Jesus said each one of us needs to take up our cross. So we see that Christ bore a cross that we can never ever bear when he carried the collective weight of all of humanity's sin and endured this righteous wrath of our holy God, resulting, by the way, in your redemption and your forgiveness. That's the cross that he bore. So Jesus picked this one image, when you think about it, that would make people turn away. Now, we have... Uh, in 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 our culture we really don't understand we have ideas and maybe you've listened to some sermons or maybe you've watched some videos about how brutal the cross is maybe you've seen the passion of the christ remember that movie really puts it into perspective my entire life i always wore a cross right and 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 we 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 had the sense that we we beautified it right and i was wearing it without understanding what it really meant until Melissa and I, 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 we were talking about this the other day, we went on our first date, and our first date was actually we went to go see The Passion of the Christ. Yeah. One part, she jumped and she grabbed my arm, and I was like, hello. <laughs> Didn't know where to focus. <laughs> what? Right? But I remember both of us just shedding tears in the middle of that movie, and for, for the first time in my life, really just starting to comprehend what he endured for my sake. And I, I, I kind of went into this state of mind where I was imagining that, that, that each time that they mocked him and they beat him and they spit upon him and they hurled insults at him and, and all those around, I, all I could imagine in my head was he did that for me and I don't deserve it and I can never make up for it. And I begin to understand that the cross was not necessarily, now it's something of beauty to me because I understand what it is, But I had to understand that it was horrific and horrendous. And one of the worst ways a human can die is upon the cross. And so I didn't want to beautify it anymore. I began to understand that every time I talk of the cross, I'm going to let myself remember exactly what it was that he went through. And as good as Hollywood can depict it, can I tell you something? It was still infinitely worse. It was still infinitely worse. So he picks this one image that he knew, especially in that time, that would turn people away. He wanted people to count the cost of following him. Because what will begin to happen is all of a sudden you start getting free meals. You know what free meals does? It attracts people. If I told you right now that after church, Swish LA was giving out free meals, I bet you I would see more than half of you there. Free meal, good to me. I ain't got to cook. I ain't got to clean. Price of lettuce is still high. Let's do it. Right? Let's do it counting the cost. He wanted people to count the cost in following him. He wanted to make sure that those that were in were in. And he wanted to make sure that they understood that there was going to be a price to pay to follow him. And so he uses this picture of the cross. You need to pick up your cross daily. The people in this time would understand that those who picked up a cross, that was their death march. You didn't pick up a cross and then live. When you picked up a cross, you understood that these were in in the, on this earth, were going to be your last steps you understood exactly what was coming, that you would be used as an example for all to see, that if you, conditional clause, if you misbehave or you don't, you don't follow the rules of the time, this will be you. And he uses this one picture to show people that you need to learn how to pick up your cross each day and follow me. People understood that death was equivalent to the cross and that the cross equaled death. And so what Jesus is saying on a daily basis, folks, you've got to learn how to pick up your cross And die to yourself to follow him. Because each day that I wake up, i got to wrestle against self. Each day that I get in a car, and by the way, driving is becoming more and more dangerous by the day. My family, and we we were out yesterday for just over an hour and a half driving around this city, and we almost got dinged like three times. Like, you better believe I started going into intercession mode. I'm a great driver. Well, at least I think I'm a great driver. I'm a great driver. I'm a good driver. I think, I, yeah, it's, it's always dumb. It's not me, right? It's crazy out there. Things are happening all around us. And every time someone does something crazy or silly, what do I want to do? I want to let them have it. I want to just remind them of how crazy they actually are. I want to remind them how wrong they are. I want to salute them, but not with a friendly British wave. You know, come on. I have to fight against the flesh every single day. Every day I wake up, I need to make a decision. Am I going to pick up my cross today? Am I going to be unoffendable today? Am I choosing joy today? Am I going to walk in the peace that I know is available for me today? Or am I going to let everybody get to me? right? This is the choice that we need to make each and every day. And it's how? By picking up our cross each and every day and reminding ourselves of the death that he died so that we can die a death on a daily basis. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about dying to yourself. Picking up your cross and following him no matter what comes. Here's what someone asked me when I became a a follower of Jesus. I was very young. I was 16 years old, and I made a decision to follow Jesus. And I remember I was in a discipleship course, and here's a couple of questions that were posed to me. And it kind of scared me, right? Like, I was like, whoa, what am I into? But it actually made me think about it. Am I willing to count the cost of following Jesus? The question sounded a little bit like this. Brian, are you willing to lose your closest friends? And guess what? When I became a Christian, I did. When I became a Christian, they called me Holy Roller, Jesus Boy, Jesus Freak, right? They, they, they came up with all the names, and I'm like, how original. I've heard them all a thousand times. Good for you. Like, come up with something new if you're going to mock me. I lost my friends. It was a lonely season for a time. Are you willing to alienate yourself from a family? You know, when I became a Christian, there were some ruffles. All of a sudden, the boy who was stealing mom and dad's liquor and doing all sorts of other stuff at age 16 now wants to go to church five times a week. That raises some alarms in a parent's eyes. Wait a second. What happened here? Where's my boy? Where's the boy that I know, right? Was stealing, that was doing this, was doing. This one is I don't know about this one. This one confuses me, right? And I told you the story before. It was only till I started turning around my attitude, I stopped swearing, I stopped giving my parents attitude, and one day I was doing the dishes at the kitchen sink and my mom really looked over to me and she said, "This Jesus thing, it's really real to you, isn't it?" Yeah, mom, it is. Right? I had to count the cost for a while. There was some friction there now. My parents are my greatest supporters. Come on, this is amazing. Are you willing to lose your reputation? This is a big one. are you lose, really like, really willing to lose your reputation for christ 's sake for his glory for, for his honor for for his name? Are you willing to put it all on the line for jesus that 's what he 's asking us and look at this. Are you willing to lose your life? I remember talking to a missionary one time and I was young, and I said, like, aren't you scared? He was going to all these wild places on the earth and preaching to God. Aren't you scared? Aren't you scared they're going to beat you? Aren't you scared they're going to kill you? And he responds with a, the most wisest thing I've ever heard. Listen, Brian, if they hurt me, Jesus will heal me, and if they kill me, I'll be with him forever. I win. And he just walked away. I was like, wow, I just got schooled. That's, that's Bible school in a nutshell for you. Right there, right? And he was serious. Didn't care. If they hurt me, he'll heal me. Bones heal, cuts heal, no problem, I'll heal. Right? The same attitude that Paul had, didn't he? doesn't matter what they do to me, I'm going to continue to preach preach Jesus. That doesn't mean that all this will happen, thank goodness. But the key is, what he's asking is, are you ready? Are you willing? In essence, cross-bearing means that you're willing to pay the price for his sake. Amen? And I'll finish with this. Go ahead, Matthew. Christianity is about surrender, it's about sacrifice, and it's about service to and in Jesus' name. Oswald Chambers said a really interesting quote. He says, All of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, and all of hell is terrified of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. What does the cross mean to you today? Here's the good news. Jesus is asking you to carry a cross on a daily basis. But in short time, your cross will be exchanged for a crown. There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not first cross bearers here below. Are you willing to pick up your cross this morning? Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to die to yourself and to follow Jesus? Jesus left the most perfect example for you and I in Hebrews 12. It says, looking on to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew exactly what he was in store for. And yet counted it in joy. Why? Because he knew that it would lead to your hearts. He understood that there would be an opportunity for each and every one of you. To do the exact same thing. To pick up your cross on a daily basis. And to follow him with full intention of being a disciple. I said there was four, and the last one is this, devotion. He says, and follow me. Follow me. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we must feel the weight and the wonder of the one who is speaking. And when we do, we'll see he is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. And he's worthy of denying ourself. He's worthy of dying a death to ourselves. He's worthy of our desire, and he's most certainly worthy of our devotion. The word follow comes from the prefix indicating a union. And the word meaning path, road, or journey. So it literally means to walk the same road with. And it lends to this idea to keep on constantly and continually following Jesus. And so when Jesus said, follow me, it's an invitation and it is a glorious one to join him on his path, on his journey. And if we choose to follow, it means that we're going where he's going, we're doing what he's doing, and we're letting him lead us once and for all. Notice this personal aspect of when Jesus said, follow me. It's all about a relationship with the Savior, my friends. Not a system Not rituals or rules. Discipleship is relationship where we are invited to be close to Him. I don't know about you, but in these days, I know that I know that I know that I got to get as close as I've ever been to Jesus. I know that on a daily basis, I have examples left, right, and center of why I need to draw in and not draw back. I'm challenged in my life become and to be known as a disciple of Jesus. I ain't perfect, you ain't perfect, but we have a desire and we're willing to deny ourselves, to lay down our life and to pick up the cross and to devote ourselves fully and entirely to him. So here's a question to ponder. Will I spend my life for the Savior or will I waste my life on this world? That's the question that really Jesus is getting down to. A disciple is one who follows Jesus no matter what. And if you're ready to make that decision today, if you're ready just to carry your cross today and forever, you desire to follow him, you desire to know him, you, you desire to be like him, you're ready to deny yourself and to die to the world and devote yourself wholly and completely to Jesus would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Lord, here we are. Father, we recognize your grandness. We recognize the plan that you have for our life. We recognize, Lord God, the call to discipleship. And right now, we're taking a moment, Lord God, to count the cost of following you. Lord, I thank you that in these days, Lord, the the, the line has been drawn in the sand. And we at Capital City Church acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And we say, Father, we will follow you all the days of our life. If you're here and maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior, the first step is to count the cost and know what it is to follow him. And then the decision is to be made The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And so simply here at Capital City Church, we say a prayer. We say it together. And don't let this prayer fool you. It's not these words exactly that gets you into a relationship with Jesus. It's the acknowledgement that he lived and died for you, was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And forever makes intercession on your behalf. That the work that he did for you and for me was final once and for all. And when he said it was finished, it was finished. And that you have the opportunity today to make a decision to follow him all the days of your life. Which, by the way, results in when we step out of this life and into eternity. We have the assurance that we will be with him forever in heaven. We don't have to fear death anymore. Death becomes a graduation day where we step into his presence once and for all, where the Bible says there's no more tears, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain or confusion. There is only Jesus. There's only God the Father and all of his saints who have relied on him through all of the ages and put their trust in him and him alone. Is that you today? Do you need to put your trust in Jesus? Then let us say this prayer together. Come on. Let's say Jesus Thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I repent and I'm purposing to change the way I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, help me to learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name, and He does today.